morning. Uh, welcome to Redeemer City Church's virtual worship service. My name is Drew Bennett, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, it's my pleasure to be with you again uh, this morning in these unusual circumstances. Thank you for tuning in and doing this with us. Uh, John Krasinski is doing his part in this pandemic. I don't know if you've caught his SGN network, some good news. Uh, he reports on stories uh, meant to make people smile, and millions of people have watched uh, because there's something powerful about stepping out and sharing stories of kindness and goodness when everything else is finger-pointing political posturing in these days. Uh, we're starved for good news, and Christianity is not just good news, it's the best news of the ultimate act of kindness and love. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel. His birth at Christmas, his death on the cross on Good Friday, and his resurrection from the grave on Easter Sunday. But it doesn't stop there. Not only do we see it in these things, but after the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, eating with them, teaching them. And then, we're told, he ascended into heaven, as the Apostles' Creed said, where he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so this morning we come to the texts from different places in the scriptures that describe the event of his ascension as we continue in this series talking about the good news of Jesus. So let's read. We're going to read from Luke chapter 24 and then Acts chapter 1, which are parallel passages that both show the same scene. And then we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22, where Paul, writing to the church, reflects upon some of the implications of the reality of Jesus' ascension to the right hand of the Father. And so join me, if you would. Uh, the words will be on the screen there uh, in front of me, but you can take a Bible and follow along as well. Beginning in Luke chapter 24, the very last verses of the gospel. Hear God's word. Then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple, blessing God. And then in Acts chapter 1, again, the same scene, uh, but, but it shows there's a different response on the part of the disciples. It says there in verse 12, after he had been lifted up, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room, and all of these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. And then from Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, working out the implications of Jesus' ascension for us. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above all and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. 
This is God's word. And this is part of the good news. Jesus being resurrected and then ascending into heaven to the right hand of the Father. This is good news too, but we don't celebrate it like we do the other stuff. We have holidays for all of the other parts of what we've been talking about to remember his death and his resurrection and even his life, but not the ascension. And that's too bad for this reason. In his life, death and resurrection, God has, has been building a bomb to blow up the old world of sin and death. Like the demolition of an old building so that something new can be built on top of it. And a bomb is no good without a detonator. The ascension is the detonator for everything else that Jesus did. It is the thing that takes all that Jesus was and did and releases it into the universe and into your life with all of its healing power. So this morning we just want to talk about uh, this great event, which is a great truth for our lives, and ask these questions of it. When we talk about the ascension, what is it? What do we mean? What, what exactly is going on here? Secondly, why is it good news? Why is it a part of the good news that we're celebrating in these weeks? And then thirdly, what's the, the practical application for our lives? What do we do about it? How does it affect the way we live from day to day? And so let's just walk through these texts to ask, those three, to ask and answer those three questions. If you would follow along with me first, let's ask the question, what is the ascension? What exactly happened? And where is Jesus now? Now this same event is recorded at the end of Luke, in Luke 24, and at the beginning of Acts, in Acts 1, and also in Mark 16. And I've chosen this text in Luke primarily because of this, because of how it puts it. It says it like this in verse 51. He parted from them, and was carried up into heaven. That's the way the Bible describes this event. After the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days on the earth with, with his disciples. And things were both the same and different during that time. They ate together. He taught them just as before. But Jesus was separated from them in a way that he was not during the, the bulk of his earthly mission. He told Mary at one point uh, that she was not allowed to hold on to him. And Herman Bobby notes about all of this. He said he was going away from them in the direction of heaven. And so there's this increasing distance as the days go on, go on until this scene where he was physically carried up into heaven. And really, that's as far as I can press the language. I can only say what the scripture says because we're bumping up against mystery here as far as exactly what happened. But when we ask the question, what does it all mean? What is the significance of the event? Well, in answering that question, there's much more to say. If you were to ask someone, they probably would answer with something like this. Jesus has gone to heaven, and he's no longer here on the earth. He's now with us in spirit. And those formulations collapse, unfortunately, into Platonism by drawing a hard line between the spiritual world and the material world, heaven and earth and a hard line between the two. And Plato taught that this present world of space, time, and matter is a world of illusion. It's a flickering shadow on the back of a cave wall. True reality is beyond space, time, and matter. And the material world is inferior to the immaterial. And I need to just say to you that the Bible strongly disagrees with that great man and the way he thought. The Bible doesn't speak as if earth is here and heaven is there. And there's a hard line between the two, and, and they never mingle. In fact, just the opposite. Here's the way uh, that the Bible would say it, that heaven and earth are twin interlocking spheres of God's single created reality. 
As I said last week, heaven and earth are made for each other, like male and female. And the grand finale of the Christian story is when they finally come together and their union is celebrated in a, in a wedding feast. I mean, we need a different cosmology. And that's what this, this, what this event forces upon us. Jesus' resurrection and ascension forces us to think differently about the way the whole cosmos is put together. Because this story does not mean that Jesus is now there and not here. No, the point is that there is here. And here is there. And the two have already begun to come together in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ who has gone ahead into the reality that all who believe in him will one day also live in. Let me, let me be clear to say this. Heaven, heaven is not there. Somewhere out there, heaven is pushing into the here. And the Christian hope is not that we follow Jesus to heaven when we die. It is rather that in the resurrected and reigning Christ, heaven is even now coming down to earth. That the barrier between heaven and earth was cracked when Jesus came down in the incarnation, but then it was broken to a million pieces when he went back up in the ascension. And so the ascension isn't the absence of Christ, but actually the increase of his presence with us. It is not the loss of his leadership, intimacy, and protection, but actually the magnification, the infinite magnification of those things. And so we might ask uh, for the kids, well, where is Jesus now? And the, child's, the children's catechism asks that question. Well, it asks, where is God? And the answer is that God is everywhere. And I always tripped my kids up when we would do that because they would say in heaven and then we'd have to correct them. No, he's everywhere. But if we ask, where is Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the answer would be, as, as these scriptures show us, that he is seated firmly on the throne in the sphere where heaven and earth meet. That he, that his body is the nexus of those two realities. He is seated at the right hand of God, where God is, which is everywhere. He is seated 12 times in the New Testament, we're told, because his work to reconcile God and man, in fact, to reconcile all of earth and heaven, is done. And when your work is done, you sit down. But he's seated at the right hand, which is the place of power and authority, overseeing everything that happens in heaven and on earth. As Paul put it in the Ephesians 1 passage, he says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named with all things under his feet. Now the word above there that Paul uses doesn't mean up, as in up there, somewhere in the sky, floating around with the clouds. Up rather means before or ahead of. He now supersedes any other rule or authority or power or dominion. In all of heaven and earth, everything is under his control. His will cannot be thwarted. Nothing can happen without his express permission. He is the one, the only one in heaven and earth worthy to open the scroll and execute God's government of all things. Because he is the lion of Judah with the strength and the regality and the character to rule. And he is also the lamb who is slain with the humility and the compassion to serve. You know, the verbs here in Luke used to describe the ascension are, pas are passive, not active. Jesus didn't do them. It was the Father's reward for his obedient life 
and his sacrificial death to exalt him to the place of honor and have him sit down at his right hand to rule over all things. Now secondly, if that is what we mean by the ascension, then why is it good news? Why is this part of the good news? Why? We should have a holiday to celebrate this like we have a holiday to celebrate everything else. But why is it good news? And it says in Luke that they, if you see, at least the early, the first disciples saw it as very good news because we read in that Luke passage that they worshipped upon seeing this and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, verse 52. And it's why it's, it's the way we should respond to this too, with great joy. But why? Well, they knew. What Paul spells out in his prayer in Ephesians 1, that God exalted Jesus to the place of preeminence as head over all things. Look there, verse 22, to the church. That's the phrase, to the church. Now, it's interesting, there's actually no preposition there in Ephesians 1, verse 22. It actually would read, God gave him as head over everything, the church. And it gets translated differently because of that, because there's a little bit of uncertainty. In the NIV, it's translated for the church. God exalted him as head over all things for the church. In the New Living Translation, it is for the benefit of the church. And those translations get at it better than the ESV does. Jesus Christ now reigns over all things for the sake of his people. He orchestrates everything in heaven and earth and in this age and in the age to come with you in mind. Isn't that great news? Now, two things in particular that Paul wants us to see, he's praying for us. He's praying that these two things would land upon the soul of the people he's writing to. And, he, and I think he would be praying that they would land upon our soul as well. Two things. Because Jesus is risen and reigned, we have, first, the hope of a future eternal inheritance to look forward to. And secondly, we have power in the present toward us to lean into. So we have a hope to look forward to, and we have a power in the present to lean into. So Paul's praying those two things. He wants us to know, first, look, the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's verse 18. And hope is the deep conviction and assurance that the what is of life is giving way to the what will be. Now, we've been talking about this a lot, but this is a time where we need a great deal of hope. And hope is the assurance, the deep conviction, the absolute certainty that the what is of life is giving way to the what will be. And the what is is often sadness and loss and grieving, but the what will be is the happy ending. And Hollywood knows not to make a movie that doesn't resolve into the happy ending. Those movies flop. We want happy endings. We demand them of the stories that are told because imprinted somewhere on our souls is the truth that that is how reality is shaped to. The ascension, Jesus risen and reigning over all things is the assurance that our future will be so great and so glorious that it will make every shadow a small and passing thing. Jesus on the throne does not necessarily mean that our today in this world, in this time, is going to go exactly the way we would want it to. But it does mean that our tomorrow in the new heavens and the new earth will be so great that there is nothing in our current experience to even compare it to. And Paul wants us to know that. He's saying, look, because Jesus is now the nexus of heaven and earth, reigning at the right hand of God the Father, you have a hope and an inheritance 
to look forward to. But not only that, he's also praying that we would know, look at verses 19 and 20, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now that word there, repeated over and over again, is the word dynamite, literally. And that's why I used the analogy at the beginning that I did, that God's explosive power to demolish and rebuild, which has come into the world through the resurrection of Jesus, is now pointed at your life and mine for right now. So we're not trapped in unchanging circumstances. God is able to work resurrection for you and for me, too. Isn't that wow? Wow. There's so much more to say. Uh, and I wish we had the time to do all of that. But Paul just wants you to see, not only is there a hope of an inheritance in the future for you to look forward to, but there is a power in the present <clears throat> that's toward us that we can lean into in all things. And so let's just keep moving and say, well, so what? I mean, what does this have to do with us in our lives from day to day now? And one of the things that caught my attention, <clears throat> excuse me, as I read all the passages that describe the ascension. So Mark 16 and Luke 1, I'm excuse me, Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, they all are really a commissioning. Jesus gathered the disciples together. And gave them their marching orders. So in Luke it says, verse 50, that he, he has them on the mountaintop here. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now that's, that's what I do at the end of each worship service. Because he's doing what we do. It was a commission. He was sending them. They were now going out to, to carry on his mission in the world. In his place. And in each of those places, the ascension takes place in the context of ascending. There's a connection to mission. So in John's gospel, even, Jesus said uh, in, in all of the, the, the narratives leading up to his death that his going away was so that the church could be going out. Without his going away, there would be no going out in mission. He said to his, to his friends that it was to their advantage that he go away to the Father because from the Father's right hand, he would possess all of the power and the authority he would need to ensure their success. He said they could ask anything and he would give it to them. Give them, give them anything they, and everything they needed to be successful in the mission that he had given to them. In Ephesians chapter 4, which also talks about the ascension, the emphasis is on the gifts that, that Jesus gives to the church. I mean, normally when a king ascends, he is showered with gifts. But Jesus is a different kind of king. When he ascends to his throne, he gives gifts, supernatural charismata, for the sake of the mission in the world. And so we see that there's a connection between this event of Jesus going up and going away and the, the, the disciples going out. But the ascension also shows us what the mission is and what it is not. Because as we've said, Jesus ascended to the place where heaven and earth are intertwined into one single reality. Jesus didn't just go there. He's bringing heaven here. Here. Ultimately, at the end, where in heaven and earth will be joined together, as we've said, like a man and woman in marriage. But that future is starting to come true in the present, even now, through the church's work in the world. And so N.T. Wright has said it this way. He says, this is what the resurrection and ascension of Jesus are all about. They are designed not to take us away from this earth, but rather to make us agents of the transformation of this earth. 
Of course, what exactly does that mean? And so let me quote him again. He says, we are called to bring real and effective signs of God's renewed creation to birth, even in the midst of the present age. Not to do so is ultimately to collude with the forces of sin and death themselves. And so we work for justice in the real world. We create beautiful things here in the material physical world that will continue on into the new creation. We announce the beginning of God's new world in Jesus and call people to repentance and faith. We live together as the people of this new world who stand out like light shining out of the darkness. We do this because we're told in the scriptures that Jesus himself is the place where heaven and earth intersect and interlock. His physical body now risen and reigning in heaven. And if you believe in him, then he means for you to also be a point, a nexus in the world where heaven and earth collide. That's the mission. But it is Jesus who does the building. Let's not forget that. And that is why what the disciples do next is so dead on, why I included it, uh, the Acts passage here in our reading. Because in Luke it says, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were in the temple continually blessing God. But in Acts, it says that they returned and went up into the upper room and were devoting themselves to prayer. Verse 14. Prayer, because it is ultimately God's work and God's power that accomplishes these things and not ours. And let me say this. If in this time we would learn to pray, then when we are back together, there would be power. It's one of the things that I've been asking of the Lord, that he would teach us in this time when we have all this free time, when our lives have been disrupted, when our routines are all out of whack, that we would learn good new routines, the routines of prayer. And if we'd learn to pray, then when we get back together, there would be power. I really believe that. We pray because Christianity is gospel, not religion. The main thing is what God has done and is doing for us in Jesus Christ, not what we commit to doing for him. You see, in Christianity, you build. We're called to build, but you build by resting your heart's hopes and joys in God's power and in God's goodness. He came into the world on a rescue mission for you. He died on the cross for your sins. He is, has risen and is reigning over heaven and earth for you, Paul says, with you in mind. Do you know what that means? All will be well. Amen? Let's pray to just to that end. So, Father, thank you again for the wonderful gift of your son, the Lord Jesus. He is a marvel, a wonder, and the work that he has accomplished is the ultimate good news that our hearts so desperately need. And so thank you for the chance uh, to just sit, sit in the reality of that good news. Thank you for the privilege that I have of reminding us again and again, week after week, announcing, being a herald of that good news. Would you turn all of us into heralds that go into our neighborhoods, into all the places that you've called us and that you've sent us as just that, as heralds of this good gospel news, of the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world, of his death on the cross, 
to justify sinners and to reconcile us to God, of his being raised on the third day from the dead to bring the new world into the present and of his current ascension and his being seated at the right hand of God, the Father in power and authority reigning over all things. We're in great hands. Help us to rest and content our hearts in that. May it produce courage and strength and patience and endurance and love and gospel witness uh, in us that you might be glorified. Teach us to pray, Lord, in these days so that when we gather together again, there would be new power that you might be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. So just as Jesus gathered his disciples there on the mountain and lifted his hands to bless them, so now I can lift my hands over you and speak these words of blessing to you. Now think about this. The one who I am saying is willing to turn his face towards you is the one seated at the right hand of God in the place of power and authority. If that one turns his face towards you, then you can be confident that everything we just sang is an absolute certainty. And that's the hope we have. And that's the confidence we can have to go through days like the days we're going through now with joy and hope and peace and love towards others. So receive this benediction uh, and reach out uh, your hearts uh, towards the truth of these words. That he who has ascended into power uh, would, would love you and live towards you like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Go in his face.